Hey yo, welcome to the winner's circle, polish your crown, here to optimize your workflow, that's service now, this ain't your typical, run of the mill, tech talk OGs, we're the best in the field, we'll help you level up and build your credibility, now let me ask you one question, who the realest be, unapologetic, if we said it then we meant it, foundation build on trust, authentic so it's cemented, better make way, only facts in the booth, you're now tuned in with CJ and the Duke, uh, what success, I'll let you in on the scoop make your mind your best friend and fill it up with the truth come on yeah make your mind your best friend and fill it up with the truth yeah cj and the duke what's that huh? service now hey everyone welcome to another episode of cj and the duke as always i am your co-host robert the duke fedoric and i am Corey cj wesley this episode is brought to you by clear sky ClearSky is the only identity governance and security solution built natively on ServiceNow. It optimizes enterprise identity and risk management with a platform-first approach. Look, we have built a great digital world where we can plug and play people into our applications and information globally. Great for speedy operations, but can be a real nightmare for risk and security and governance who are left asking, who has access to what? Who authorized that? Should they still have it? When's the last time we checked? This is why CJ and the Duke love ClearSky. All of the benefit of a company with decades worth of ILM and IGA experience with a solution that's built natively on ServiceNow, the platform that we all trust. ClearSky, optimized identity management built natively on ServiceNow. Check the description below for an episode CJ and I did on ClearSky, as well as how to contact them. The f*** goes on here. We're keeping that one in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for those of you just joining us, Corey and I have been here for an hour scratching our heads trying to figure out what episode we're going to do. That's not to say we're not prepared. We have a huge library of potential episodes, but we just didn't feel like we didn't have we enough gas it. in a tank on all on each of them. Yeah, man. You know, sometimes it's a thing that calls you, right? Like you go through these things and something calls out to you. You feel something in your soul about it, right? And and, and we and we jump in on it and we and we, you know, knock out like some bullet points and then we proceed to start recording and ignoring all the bullet points. And <laughs> and you know, this time like we went through our extensive backlog of, you know, I love backlog, right? Like we're gonna talk about this like we're doing stories in agile development. Yeah, we went through our backlog and none of this stuff really just called out to either of us. And so here we are now, just kind of, uh, we're shooting it. Really? There we go. Yeah. So, um, what'd you struggle with this week, bud? Testing, actually. Testing and documentation were on the agenda for this week. And, you know, neither one of those are typically a struggle. To this week, though, they were a struggle. And maybe it was, maybe they were a struggle because I just kind of hit my flow state on the thing that I was building last week. Mm -hmm. And which led to me completing it, which was great. Right. But it was, but I felt like I had a little bit of flow state left over and I had, I didn't have anything to use it on. And so now when it comes to like testing and writing the documentation, like that doesn't really, for me anyway, doesn't really require or utilize flow state for like documentation. I do other kinds of writing that I do need the flow state for, but those sorts of things are a little bit more, they're a little less, I don't know what you want to call it. Right. But in the zone. Yeah. They're a little mm -hmm. less in the zone when I do it. Right. So it's just been a little bit of a struggle to get through that stuff this week. What about you? Yeah, I can totally riff on that. Actually, I relearned another important lesson. You know, those lessons you just like relearn every two years or 10 years. 
Yeah, absolutely. Right? One of those things that you say, I, I'm never going to make this mistake again. And then you proceed right. to. Or it's not just a mistake. It's just a truth. Right. And right. I'm developing and gosh, I'm developing several custom apps right now. But one app in particular is it's kind of a mutation of something that they do very primitively. But it's like, what would level three of this look like? So we're okay. basically going all, all in. Functionality service now doesn't normally do. They don't have the funds to get stuff that actually does this. So we're doing it in service now. It's a lot of fun. But what I'm relearning is that when you do something like that, it's so, so difficult to get the full picture of what the thing is going to be without having tests. Okay. You know what I mean? And I guess, it, yep. I guess it's just iterative development, agile development, whatever you want to call it. But you look at this thing in the beginning, you're like, this is like a four-week job. And it's just like... <laughs> A long time later, you're still right. like adding new stuff and stuff that is quote unquote simple just pops out as being missing. Like, how could we forget that? Well, it's, it's like a brand new thing. How should we have remembered that? <laughs> right. That's what I'm kind of relearning is that the newer and more novel the thing that you're putting on service now, the more absolutely critical it is to just have jam sessions with your stakeholders and just like, how do you feel about this? I mean, that's a really good point, right? When you're doing that iterative development, the sooner you can get stuff in front of your stakeholders and have them tell you yay or nay, essentially, right? Like the better off the project is. Like developing inside of a vacuum is never a good idea. You got you to gotta let that thing get in the hands of the client and let somebody deal with it. Somebody bust through the vacuum yeah. of, of your own preconceptions. And so, like yeah. literally nobody's used this before. Yeah. Right. So, so it's like. How do you even know at the start? Did we even ask all the right questions to get the fullness of this app? It's not like we're developing like Angry Birds or something on the mobile phone where it's like it does one thing exquisitely. No, everything in ServiceNow does like five to 10 things. How do you even know you've got the fullness defined? So uh, James Altisher has this concept he calls idea sex, right? And it's basically when you got two different or multiple different ideas that exist separately and you combine them on some sort of intersectionality and that and the intersection of those ideas forms something great, right? So I look at this, which you're, what we're talking about here, um, from the perspective of you got this process and you have this technology and now we combine them. And they're, and in certain circumstances, like Nirvana happens with that combination, right? And you And the folks who are now looking at the product and understanding the product more and understand their process and understand now the technology more, start having all of these huge ideas about what can be done and what should be done. And so maybe you had all of this ironed out and buttoned up before you got started, but now they know right-click everything and it changed the world. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, that, that's how I look at something like this too, in terms of like making sure that you get your code, your product, your app in front of your customer as soon as possible. Man, that idea sex thing I did at Knowledge 15, I did a present, presentation on innovation is not alchemy. And one of the things I talked about is having a repository to, to put all of your ideas in, yeah. or concepts you want to research. And then after that, like regularly recombine all of those things. Right. And I remember at the time it was Michael Slobodnik. You remember him? I do. I mean, actually not past tense. The guy's still right. around, but <laughs> I remember the Pour time. out for Michael. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Michael's back. We can pour another one to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Michael? <laughs> good, to, 
All right. Cheers to Michael. He came from a customer and they had basically, it was just at the point where I'm thinking like, what could Xbox achievements combined with ServiceNow, does anything useful come out of that? And then sure enough, a day later, Michael Sobladnik's like doing this case study where they gamified their IT support and they had points and badges and levels and stuff for your contributions. I or like revolutionized your help desk, Kick which is really cool because with these stuffy corporate attitudes and aesthetics and frameworks, like who would have thought to even say, Hey, what can video gaming teach us about our performance? Yeah. You, you would have been laughed out of the room until somebody actually has the guts to do that recombination. Which, you know, in hindsight seems pretty obvious because when you think about it, like how many casinos are there in the world, right? Like there are a ton of them and people love gambling, right? And people love playing and that's gaming. It's called the gaming industry. Like how many gaming consoles has, you know, Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo sold over the past like 30, 40 years, right? Atari, all of them, right? So many games, right? Like these things sell by the boatload for a reason and, you know, ignoring them. I think society has made a huge mistake in ignoring gaming as like a kid's thing for far too long. It's what keeps us glued to our iPhones, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the same mechanism. Social media too. Somebody's using that to, you know, to exploit your attention. So. Oh, um, man. Absolutely. I just read a great book on this. I will figure it out. We can put it in the show in the show notes. But it was about habit and oh, the power of habit by uh, Charles uh, Duhigg uh, wrote for the New York Times. It talks about like why we do what we do and how to change those things that we do with that we're doing without no, without thinking about it. Right. Like it's all oh, it's a phenomenal book. And once you read it and understand like what's driving you, you know, you can kind of use that to, to build better habits and get more productive. Awesome. But we should put it in the show notes. For sure. You got a link to it? Yep, absolutely. So what about you, Duke? Um, this week, I guess, it's less about ServiceNow specifically and more about personal performance and um, okay. and how context switching is just the ruin of performance. Yeah. Yeah, and- go on. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of got into one of those things, right, where it's, it's the big thing about being an independent consultant, right? It's right. Like, these things don't slot in 40 hour intervals really nicely. And so I'm in the process of like wrapping some up and ramping some on and on paper, it's just like, I have to do X number of things in a day. Right. But if the right. X things are from completely different ends of the spectrum, it's way heavier than just four things. Does that make sense? It, yes, absolutely. Like if I absolutely. work for customer X and I have one, two, three, four things to do, or I have four customers and one thing to do for each, the one to do for each of the customers. That second scenario, I'd say is more than double the amount of like mental fuel to manage. Does that make sense? It absolutely does, right? Because you're now in this context, right, of this dealing with this one customer. And you might have five things, but you can peel them off because there is a next, mm-hmm. right? The, it's the power of next, right? And maybe I should coin this, but somebody probably smarter than me probably already has. But what I've noticed too, and I, you know, I, I've mentioned before on the show that I have ADHD, right? And so one of the things for me is like the power of next is something that I try to weaponize is by having a stack of readily available tasks that I can draw upon in the context that I'm in and which will keep me going. But if that stack is empty, right, if there's nothing to draw on in that next queue, that's when I find myself facing 
and finding it hard to go to the next task, whatever, and even decide what the next task is, right? Or know what that is. Yeah. And, you know, and that sounds a lot like what you're talking about now. Sorry, I didn't mean I jumped in there and kind of, <laughs> you know, but, you know, it resonates really, really hard with me, like, really, uh, really strongly with me because that whole context shifting thing for me is, is really one of the things that saps a lot of my productivity. Yeah, I just, I'm going to just like commit to being way more careful about it this year. And this is just a lesson too, because this week, like three or four people have asked me to like, hey, connect me with recruiters because I'm really interested in hyper flexible part-time work that I could do after hours. Okay, guys. It's just like, but it isn't. (laughs) Or at least, like, I don't know if if I'm the one with the blind spot here, but I'm just like, do those even really exist? Those feel like unicorns to me. So, I, you know, I feel like they should exist. I think that they don't exist because people are still kind of glued, even in 2023, right? People are still glued a little bit to the boots in the seat kind of methodology, right? And not and even if boots in the seat is seat is now your home office, people are still glued to nine to five business hours, right? Where you should be available during the conventional time when business is done. Except that what we do in a lot of cases can be flexed outside of conventional business hours. Right. So if you have somebody who's working a day job and instead of them starting a side project, would just like to take up some additional service now work. To me, that makes a whole lot of sense. But I do find that and I have found this, too, from just talking to potential clients and existing clients over the years. It's really difficult to get, make that work in practice. Yeah. And the more I struggle with things like my own context switching fatigue, the more I the more it underscores my idea that these unicorns, I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm just saying they are, they're unicorns. They're, they're super yeah. rare. Um, right. It's just because if they could see you at the time of day you choose to work, would they want to pay the money? Right. So I just finished an eight hour day at my day job and then I got dinner ready. I helped the kids with their homework, took a breath, family time, got my kids tucked in. And it's 8.30, 9 p.m. Yeah. And am I like rough and ready to go and do some like real significant troubleshooting? Or are we like being real here, maybe being a bit antagonistic? Or am I just trying to monetize my least valuable hours? (laughs) My very, very least monetized. You know what I mean? I do. I do. But I think. and 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 if the work could be done, at that time with that after that you know in that time by somebody whose mind has already gone through a full day's worth of cognitive work why wouldn't they just ship that offshore immediately what i say is because everybody's different i'm an early bird i'm up at four o'clock in the morning in the winter time right and the work that i do from four to seven is just as valuable as if i had done it from 10 to one and yet it ain't you know and it got done and the client is happy so I, I'd say that if you can manage to deliver quality work by doing it in unconventional times of the day, then mm-hmm. I think there should be a market for that. But the hack that I'm thinking that probably exists is maybe folks should be looking to consider themselves offshore to other countries, right? Where working hours are dovetailing with those late night hours or early morning hours here, right? Like maybe you need a European client. Where you can then, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, maybe you're now, 
and forgive me well, on the time zones. I don't feel like doing the mental math. So I'm figuring mm. out what times people are open, but you know what I mean, right? So in Asia pack, right? Like three o'clock in the afternoon is typically right. about the time that they're starting to get up and get online. So at like seven, eight, nine in the evening, if you're doing work there, you're still in the middle of their business day, right? And so if you're doing work for an Asia pack company, maybe that's how you align out those few hours of off cycle time that you want to monetize. I'm glad we did this jam session thing because I think we can riff on this one seriously and I'll play the bad guy. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, because this, like, this actually scratches a lot of the questions that I get asked. So okay. number one is, can you connect me with jobs where I can basically sign in whenever I want, do as much hours as I want, whenever. You know what I mean? The, yeah. the unicorn customers. Yeah. And I don't, I don't believe that those exist at scale. And I think it's a bad idea. Even in your case where it's like, okay, you get up at six, but now you're given or whatever. You start work at six to five to seven. You get yeah. two solid hours of, but those are your best times. So you're taking it from somewhere. That means another one of your accounts gets your ass hours. Okay. So that's an interesting You see way what to I mean? It's it. like, okay, I do. You, you put them in the morning, but I just go on this principle. Like you, you have some amount of cognitive load in a day. That's right. your maximum cognitive load. Never and at a specific point, say it's six hours, eight hours, whatever, four hours, maybe even, all other work diminishes after that if you're doing cognitive work. And why shouldn't we believe that lumberjacks only have a certain amount of time they can strain their body doing lumberjack works? Oil rig workers, right? Our brains are no different than that. You can't flex that muscle all day long. Right. And so let's say there's leftover hours somewhere. Who are you giving the leftover hours to? Yeah. I'm. And there was another point you just made too. It was like, oh, the internationalness, right? Like, oh, yeah. I'll just get a customer somewhere else. Because a lot of people want to just say, I want to live over here. I want to do contract work and bill U.S. rates to U.S. customers. Yeah, absolutely. But I want to live in like wherever. Yeah. Cheapest cost of living in the entire world. You can't just do that. Why not? Well, because it's the same as working for like, I think the companies that want to, the companies that want to offshore, right? There's no question companies want to offshore. Yeah, sure. Um, but when they do it, they don't say, oh, fine, find a hundred, find a hundred independent people for us to connect with and build contracts with. No, they pick one like vendor of offshore resources. Then it's basically like one interaction they have to have. Your people yeah. aren't doing good enough. Great. We'll add five more or we'll crack the whip harder or whatever. And so, but they don't go and say, find me one person to do this. I just don't think they think like that. Yes. I could probably agree with you that I don't think they think like that, but I wouldn't, wouldn't you think they'd have a much better experience if they did? When you think about like, and, and I, and I'm speaking from, from the entirety of the IT experience, right? Cause mm -hmm. not just, you know, offshore shoring from the service now perspective, but I, you know, general IT as well. And I've been I've been in situations where, you know, a offshoring company has been brought in and the quality is often different. Even when we um, when I've seen like some of the better offshoring companies get brought in, you know, there's there's still like a difference between, you know, your permanent folks and the offshore folks or a communications barrier sometimes or, you know, yeah. other other things that contribute to a, a less than baseline experience of the people that you might be replacing. And so in those situations, right, why do you need to actually, why continue to throw, throw, why continue to follow the same existing paradigm that's not working? And why can't I 
see it, and I think this way because I'm independent consultant, right? And mm-hmm. my what I'm selling is value, yep. right? I, I'm not selling hours, you know. Like that's how sure. I get paid. Yeah, I'm. I think you're a different cat, though, right? Like you, you, <laughs> you reach a certain point in your career where you can't pitch it that way. But even so, okay, okay, like the companies that can afford service now, on average, are larger companies. We can agree on this, right? Yep. Okay, and like when you decide, like let's say the service now owner is really open and says, "I need to do X," and there's one person that's all the way across the, the world in this other country, and I want to pick them to get this stuff done. Right. Okay. So now you're at like a Fortune 500, Fortune 100 company. Yeah. And, okay. and they're okay. Do they just? They don't mail cash to that person. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So how do you get this person paid? Well, we have to know exactly how their country allows them to get paid, right? So this person's like, this person's out in the Ivory Coast. What do I know about the Ivory Coast and what, what tax, how much do I have to send to their government? Do I have to send anything to the state that they live in? Do I, ha- do I have to provide some kind of benefit because I'm paying them a certain way? They basically have to adopt another country's legal way of paying you. Why, why would they know? Right, like, like if well, I was... they probably won't. That's the thing. So it's basically like you, you know, you're in the Ivory Coast, and somebody says, and the U.S. says, "Okay, Corey, like, rack them and stack them, do all this work." And then you're like, "Great, right. how do I get paid for my hundred hours?" And like, uh, I don't know. Maybe their co- their vendor management part of the company doesn't know. And furthermore, they're basically filling out contracts for like massive. at a time. And then your contract might be a rounding error for that. And so basically just for somebody to buy you, you personally might not be worth the effort because procurement's going to put at the bottom of the list just to get you in a position where they can pay you. Yeah. And that's the problem. Right. And, and that's why there's a typically a difference in quality too. Right. Like, you know, when you, for me, right. Like uh, any company hiring me, I make it really easy for them to hire me, number one. But, you know, there's also the, um, let me think on this one. So so if a company wants to hire me, so let me put it to you this way, right? I'm more valuable than a team of most offshore resources, right? I didn't notice I didn't say one person, right? I said a team. And that's both from a development standpoint and an architectural standpoint, right? But if you're looking for that and I happen to just be working out of Jamaica, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and you, and you rob yourself of that experience, like, to me, that that's a negative on the company, right? Like you're losing, you're losing value there, or you're losing generated value for the company, right? Because you're inflexible with the way that you do business. Now, that's the theory. The reality of this is you would absolutely not know I'm in Jamaica, right? Or you might know that I'm in Jamaica, but you wouldn't know that I work out of Jamaica. You might just happen to know I'm on vacation and I'm and it's a working vacation. The, my bank account would be a U.S. bank account in the U.S. bank. All of my a tax information would be all U.S. information. And I might not even be in Jamaica long, for, for a long time. I might be happen to be there for a month and I might be going to like Antigua a month later. And, and that just be, might be my lifestyle, right? Like a more digital nomad, travel the world, stay in these places where the cost of living is a lot lower than the U.S. All I need is an internet connection, right? And you pay me what, uh, whatever we negotiate you, you send it to me as if I still, because I maintain a U.S. address, you send it to me as if I still live in the U.S. and everybody's happy. Yeah, I mean, 
I'm not saying it doesn't happen or can't happen. Right. I'm just saying like, like I'm dealing with this right now. Like somebody wants me to come in and do kind of a, uh, prepare them for a greenfield rearchitecture, right? They got the seven year rich. Let's just trash this thing and start over. Kick ass. And, but they're basically right up front. They're like, yeah, we want you. Who can you work through? Because their procurement is not going to, st- is not going to take one second to like sign a contract with Robert Fedoric of Chicago, Illinois, 60630. Right. You know what I mean? I do. I do. Absolutely and, know what you mean. And yeah. Even if they did take the time, I would never pass their vendor standards to be this. So basically they're telling me like align yourself with some big company whose paper you can reside on or yeah. this thing is a wash, even though, you know, we really want you. Yeah. So well, it's just. I agree. Yeah. Like those, those companies, you know, and a lot of companies really, it's not just those companies. You're, you're right. There's a lot of companies who are not going to take the time out once they understand that the nature of what's going on to, to deal with it. So that's a good, that's a good, that's a good point. I don't know, but I, I do feel like it's a missed opportunity. Right. And yeah, I can see it working for, for individuals, right? Maybe this isn't a scalable idea. Maybe this doesn't work for like thousands or tens of thousands mm-hmm. of people. Right. But it can certainly work for 10 or a hundred people. Yeah. To me, it's like, I wish it could be different, but then it's like, Maybe it's not different for a reason. Right. Yeah. Anyways, it's an interesting thought process anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I think it works for individuals who are out there listening to the show right now. Maybe it doesn't work for a thousand or an ecosystem, right? So maybe a, you can't build an ecosystem off the back of this idea. But if you, one person is list, are, are listening to this, and you're thinking, I would like to pick up a few extra hours in my off cycles, right? And those off cycles happen to align with prime European business working hours. And I say European as if it's one time zone, there's many of them, but pick a country and a pick a time zone. And you happen to align with one of those and they happen to need service now work, right? Then boom, Bob's your uncle and do it. And I think you can make it work. What I probably wouldn't try to build a career on it though. And, but maybe you could. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I hate being the bearer of bad news, right? Like, cause people ask me this all the time. I'm like, I wish you well. It's just like, this is not how things work or not how things are optimized to work. Yeah. It, well, you know, let me, and let me ran on this a little bit too, right? Because this exposes to me, like the lack of understanding of business value that's inherent in the IT space, right? Like, so when companies are hiring consultants and say a, in, in a lot of different spaces, when a company brings in a Accenture. Right. They're not expecting Accenture to sit in a cubicle 40 hours a week and have that green line button going from eight to four, eight to five. Right. That's not happening. Like, I mean, and when it is happening, that's like negotiated up front. Most of the time, Accenture's telling them this is going to be the output of this project that we're signing up for. And the company's just waiting on that output because they appreciate and understand the value that Accenture brings to the table. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and I think what we see a lot is that com- uh, that companies don't hire ServiceNow resources and understand the value that's being generated by the for the business. Right. They still think of this as almost, you know, staff og butts in seats. Right. I need to see your green teams icon lit up to make sure that I know that you're actually doing something. It's like, no, you know that I'm doing something, you know, the value of what I'm doing because you actually see the code and somebody can use it and it works. 
and the process that you have trouble with after you hire me, you no longer have any trouble with it. <laughs> yeah, that's like I got to underscore that that is not the most common type of service now work. Yeah, that well, that whole like I'm providing a business outcome to you is kind of a it's a solution consultant mentality. Right. And it's best leverage when you can say, like, I don't know how to do this so well, like an almost fixed rate. Well, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. Like it is, it is almost that. It's, it is a fixed rate project that you happen to break up and bill as like time and materials or hourly. Right. And because again, the mentality of the industry in general is one that doesn't necessarily tolerate the value billing sort of um, a methodology. Right. Like they, it isn't aligned to outcomes. It's aligned to bust seats. Right. Like, you know, you spend six hours in this business room. Right. Who cares about the business rule? Duke, I, yeah. you didn't hire me. Like, I think you think like companies, I think they think they hired me to build a business rule. But that's not really what they hired me for. They hired me to take service now and make money with it for them. Right. That's why I hire me. So it's like whatever that process is. You know, asset management, for example, right? Like they didn't hire me to come in here and build business rules around asset management. They hired me to build a really consistent, efficient, and scalable process for them in asset management that's going to take that take their asset management staff and to a certain degree their oper degree their operational staff internally, right, and make them more efficient so that they lose less ac ac uh, assets, right, so that they. They stay on time with um, returning their leases, right, and and get new right. hardware and software. And they they cut down on the amount of uh, software asset license spending that they're doing because maybe you know you your um license for fifteen thousand Windows installs and you really only got five thousand people since two thousand eight. But no you doubt. didn't know. They, gotta, <laughs> they have to have like they have to have a way to gauge the cost and the work, though, right? So you can either come in and say I do this for a hundred thousand flat rate, right? Yeah. And they're down for that. Or like the only other alternative like that is to count hours. Yeah. Well, I, th I think it's in intrinsic upon the, the consultant also to know the value that you bring to the uh, project. And here's another thing that I learned through SPM is that the different types of labor matter to finance. So Robert Fedoric building the business rule is a different financial transaction than Robert Fedoric training a room full of people. Fair enough. Because that business rule is a thing that exists now. It's an asset, right? right? In some abstract sense, it's an asset. And therefore, like they can depreciate the labor on part of the project. So I have some sympathy to like, well, what, what are you spending your hours on, even if it is the components? Yeah, I think we, I think we will we'll have to disagree on that, Duke, because I, I, <laughs> I, I really don't think it matters, right? For me, it's all comes. It's like, what did I deliver for you? Did it meet the thing? Did it enable you to do the thing you were trying to do? Right. And if it did and it did, it, did that successfully, then we, everyone should consider that a win. I mean, way back in the battle days, right, of, of accelerators, right? That's what this was, right? Except this is the accelerator methodology. You go in and you hire, you know, partner A and they come in with their way of doing things and they kind of, you know, they sung a dance you about like why they have an accelerator. But honestly, they have an accelerator so they can write once and, and build many, right? It's, it's just scaling the hours that they invested in it, right? For me, and and abstractly, those hours away from their hourly cost. Mm -hmm. That's exactly why you had, well, you had accelerators. 
to me, it's the same thing, right? Like I want to scale the hours that I put into, um, that I put into that and into the, the relationship with my client as well. And that as long as that value is there for them. Right. And in the startup world, and if you listen to folks who are like, you know, selling SaaS services, um, they'll come in with a service and they'll sell it to an individual or small team. And that service might be $15 a user per month. Right. Reasonable. Right. But then IBM comes in and they want to buy it. Right. And they want to be a subscriber and they they've got a team of like, I don't know, 50,000 people. Right. Is that company charging IT IBM $15 a month per user? Or is that company now charging IBM $50 a month per user because they got to deal with all the enterprise bullshit right, that comes with IBM, right? Like you got to go through like compliant certifications and you got to deal with, you know, IBM's purchasing team and prox processing and blah, 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 all the stuff that comes with dealing with big organizations, right? Like the, you've got to build more resilience in your product because they can't afford to be down. Right. Like there's a lot more that comes into it when you start dealing with big organizations and the value that IBM is going to get out of your product is different than the value that small mom and pop business is going to get out of your product. Right. And so you sell them to sell that to them in two different value points. Now, the question is, is like, is that wrong? Right. For acknowledging the customer gets more value out of your um, service than another one. And if so, then should you just sell it always at the same same price point? And I'll tell you, the answer is go to any software, any SaaS app and look for enterprise sales. And you'll, you'll see two words there, you know, contact us. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's kind of where we are with this, right? Like, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the thought behind it that, and, and this is aimed at the consultants who are at this, this, have this ability to sell, right. And the, and the ability to deliver. Right. Like you have to think about the value that you're creating for your client. Right. And so don't charge mom and pop pop rates to Microsoft. They can afford it <laughs> and they're going to get way more value out of whatever you're going to deliver for them. So that's how I look at it. Yeah, it's, uh, there's definitely a lot of merit in there, too. Wow. We are at 36 minutes of record. and <laughs> <laughs> We had nothing to talk about, dude. <laughs> We're coming up blanks. And we've talked about, shoot, iterative development, testing, recombination and innovation, attention and context switching, the unicorn project, offshoring and internationalizing consulting, and shoot, what, pricing our work? And price, yeah, and pricing our work. Absolutely. Right. There you go, folks. You got six in one episode. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell us we never do anything for you. <laughs> And, and and on this one, I would love to hear your feedback, folks. So if you do have any takeaways on this one, do leave us a comment when we post about it. Yeah, man. Argue with us. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Love arguments, right? Like how else do you know if you're right or wrong unless people tell you that they agree or disagree with you? That's right. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you on the next one. Bye-bye. CJ and the Duke is hosted by Robert the Duke Fedoric and Corey CJ Wesley. We are both freelance vendor agnostic ServiceNow experts who can help you in three different ways. If you want a true consigliere in your corner for your ServiceNow implementation, if you want to tell your customer story on CJ and the Duke, or if you want your brand in front of the largest independent ServiceNow podcast community, check the links below for how to contact us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Authentic, so it's a minute. Better make way, only facts in the booth. You're now tuned in with CJ and the Duke. Uh, what's success? I'll let you in on the scoop. Make your mind your best friend and fill it up with the truth. Come on, yeah. Make your mind your best friend and fill it up with the truth.
DJ and the Duke. What's that, huh? Service now. Come on. Yeah. I said, welcome to the winner's circle. Yeah, yeah.